Hey, friends, I'm Ashley. Hey, you guys. I'm Lainey. And this is Haunted Real Estate. this broadcast today to bring you this message. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on, we're going to survive. That was bone chilling. I loved it. I get the chills every single time. Every time. Thank you, Bill Pullman. That was awesome. So today is our 4th of July. I mean, it's your 4th of July too, um, but you won't be hearing this till afterwards. So we hope you had a happy and a safe 4th of July. Today we are talking about the Alaskan Triangle, part one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. First we've got a two-parter. Or is it a three-parter? Or a four. You know what? There are so many things to talk about with the Alaskan Triangle. I think I'm going to do two parts for now. And then later, if I want to incorporate some more, I might end up doing a part three. But I should have asked the first question on the top of my head first. What is the Alaskan Triangle? Is that like the Bermuda Triangle? It is like the Bermuda Triangle, except in Alaska. So let's get into it because I'll talk about some of the different triangles. Triangle. So according to the Travel Channel and Mike Ricksecker, author of today's topic, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, the Alaskan Triangle, people in Alaska go missing at twice the rate of the national average. According to Vivant, the security company, the top 10 states with the highest missing people start at number 10 are Montana, New Mexico, Hawaii, Wyoming, Maine, Vermont, Washington, Oregon. Number two is Arizona, and at number one is Alaska. With Arizona being number two, Alaska has three times the amount of people that go missing than Arizona. Jeez! Yeah. Since 1988, over 16,000 people have gone missing. Five out of every 1,000 people vanish, yet they have 0.2% of the U.S. population. Is that even a place people 
call in to say someone's missing. I mean, yeah, they do. Like, but oh well, you know. Yeah, no, they. I well, I don't know how a they third call of in. Us are gonna go missing, so fuck it. Okay, not a third. That's. I don't think anybody would live there if a third of the people <laughs> went missing. But yeah, it it is an astonishing amount, especially being the largest state with the smallest amount of people. But you know, it's also easy to get lost. It's I guess. A, yeah, it's Alaska. Yeah, the Alaskan Triangle is an area between Utkavik, Anchorage, and Juneau. If you're familiar with Alaska, the area is full of dense forest, freezing bleak tundra, and high mountaintops. You can see why it might be easy to disappear in our 49th state. There's there's a lot to disappear in. Um, it's a very harsh and unforgiving climate. But there are really interesting and mysterious things about this particular region between Utkavik, Anchorage, and Juneau that do make you ponder... What's going on? Well, don't they also have a lot of murders there? Oh, I don't know. I've I've heard of a few because it is such a remote area and it's hard to find people. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, and I don't know if you watched the new Dexter, but I'm pretty sure it's in Alaska. It's New York. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> it's in New York. Dexter New Blood is in New York? I'm almost positive. Let me look uh, it up. Hang on. Yes, um... The second Dexter is in Iron Lake, upstate New York. <laughs> and I call myself a fan. All right. It looks very Alaska-like. And sorry, I, Michael C. Hall. I'll leave the facts to Ashley. So, sorry. <laughs> Shut up now. So, there's been hundreds of search and rescue missions looking for hikers, tourists, passengers of airplanes, airplanes, missing ships, and even their own residents that have led to absolutely nowhere. Um, Sometimes there's not even a clue. People just disappear without a trace. And when it comes to the Northwest, you have claims of UFO sightings, Bigfoot, lots of lore and legends, um, a lot of them driving from the Native Americans that that live there or Inuits. Um, So let's dive into the crazy what-ifs of the Alaskan Triangle. This is my favorite. Already? I mean, just like, what what if anything? I always like to think of the many options, something to explain something. So I'm excited. Yeah, so we're, um, you know, I'm kind of going out of my comfort zone with this one because there's a lot of, it's just very mysterious. So a lot of the um, theories and stuff, I mean, some of them are out there, but I can understand why they think a lot of those things. Um, So first, let's talk triangles. There are many mysterious areas in the world where they've defined the geographical area into a triangle. Three points with that within its boundaries, mysterious occurrences have taken place. There is, of course, the most famous, the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, Those are the points of Miami, Puerto Rico. (laughs) Too much? (laughs) A little bit much, but you go, Glenn Coco. Sorry. (laughs) Puerto Rico, Bermuda. Then there's the Bermuda, <laughs> Puerto Rico, um, France. <laughs> oh my god! It also reminds me of Bruce Almighty when that annoying chick is one of the newscasters, and I can't remember her name, but she's like Ortega, whatever <laughs> yes. the first name is, Ortega. It's like oh my god. Sorry. Okay. There's the Bridgewater Triangle, Massachusetts, which has three points of, oh man, I forgot how to pronounce this. Uh, Erebus? Erebus. Erebus. <laughs> uh, Freetown and Abington. This is the area of its strange, has strange happenings and paranormal activity. There's like Michigan Triangle. Letting- Wait, hold on. I need to take this slower because I am dumbfounded. There's so many freaking triangles when I only knew of Bermuda. Uh, listeners, you might know of a lot more, but I'm dumb. We all knew that. Why did you start that way? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
The Massachusetts Triangle. Mm-hmm. It's the Bridgewater Triangle. And people just go missing, and that's a well-known fact. Yes. Damn. Yeah. I shouldn't have gone to art school. What school should you have gone to? <laughs> triangle school. <laughs> well, the it's interesting. Because they've identified these as triangles, which now kind of gets associated as this, like, sinister shape of weird things that happen there but who knows it could be a rectangle a circle like we i you know in that way we really don't know because some things happen right outside of the triangles aren't there triangles and witchcraft shapes or devil shapes uh yeah cool so there's the lake michigan triangle which is luddington to benton uh, i'm sorry benton harbor michigan to manawak wisconsin what happens there They're, they all have strange things that happen there like, like people believe in a lot of paranormal activity people that have gone missing that it's just stranger things happen within these triangles but they're all similar. I mean, you know the Bermuda Triangle. It's all similar things like that. I think what's scary about, scarier about the Bermuda Triangle is that it's on water. So that doesn't leave good traces of anything. No, the water is terrifying. Yeah. There's a lot to be explained there. Yeah. Do uh, I live in a triangle? Because a lot of strange things happen to me. Maybe you do. Like some Houston Triangle that we haven't yet discovered yet. They're going to call it the Triangle. Haven't yet discovered yet. That was really annoying putting yet in the sentence twice. You sound so scientific. This mysterious space started um, having people question what the heck is happening in its boundaries since 1891 when a ship mysteriously disappeared. So that is, sorry, the Lake Michigan Triangle is what I was circling back to there. There's also the Nevada Triangle. This is uh, Las Vegas to Fresno, California, and then back to Reno, Nevada. And I'm sure it comes as no surprise to you that Area 51 is within those boundaries. So, oh, and lastly, not lastly, there's probably more, but the the last one I'm going to bring up is the Dragon Triangle, which is off the coast of Japan Ooh. to the islands of Bonin and to the Philippines. So what do these areas have in common? Good question, Lainey. <laughs> do you write that down? Yes. Like, do you think I'm going to ask that? Or do you I just... just- I've started doing that more where I'm like, thanks, Lainey. <laughs> I'm going to do that to you on the like, dumbest what? stuff. What? And then he opened the refrigerator. Thanks, Ashley. Good. <laughs> Good statement there. I really just do the show myself. I just, Lainey is my other personality. Wouldn't that be weird? We are If somebody one. just played two characters. We are Siamese, if you please. Okay. Be really... <laughs> This is schizophrenia podcast. Gosh. Okay. So what they all have in common is sort of vortices of energy. Um, There are at least 12 known points in the world that have unusual weathering patterns, strong electromagnetic anomalies, and some believe, maybe not myself, I don't know, uh, but some believe that there are also portals. Uh, The weather patterns and electromagnetic anomalies could explain why planes, ships, and people go missing in those areas. It's going to affect the equipment on board, the planes and the ships, you know, need those, uh, like especially the the instruments for traveling, the compasses and all that. Um, Do they need them? They do. Are they important? Yes, they are. (laughs) Uh, literally means life or death. So it doesn't necessarily explain where they went. Um, some some believe, now I'm talking other theories outside of Ashley theories here. Some believe they go into portals or maybe they just get lost, they crash, and when it comes to the water, they just go to the ocean floor. So my brain really does have a hard time processing portals just because I don't know if they exist. Um, there's people that do strongly believe that they exist. I know there are definitely people that strongly believe it. And we know someone that believes like mirrors are portals. And it's an interesting concept to me. I don't, I don't want to say I disagree because there's certain religions where you 
cover up a mirror after death so they don't. Right, there's a lot of Jews that have done that. Yeah. (laughs) Do that, done that. Lots of Jews, man. I'm Um, just saying, a common religion. It's not like the um, Wiccans or something. I mean, it's. So, yeah, I I don't disbelieve or not. It's really fun to think that that is a possibility. It's Mm -hmm. better than the alternative as they died at the bottom of the ocean and we just can't find them. Yeah. Cool. So the magnetic energy there, it also fluctuates. So it can create negative energy and it can create positive energy. It changes with the Earth's geomagnetic field. So this phenomenon isn't consistent and we can't create it. It's just natural. A lot of this is known science and a lot of it is still being studied. Mike Ricksecker explains in his book, scientific studies in the Earth's magnetic field show us this field is volatile in nature in both its strength and constantly shifting direction and is connected to atmospheric phenomenon and the planet's ecological system. So these triangles have more energy than other places on Earth and therefore more mysterious activity. Do people that have been in these triangles to live to tell the tale, do they do they talk about the feeling of being in this magnetic energy? Like, does your body feel different? So I will talk a little bit about that in both part one and part two. I think the people that have lived there probably don't notice it as much because you were sort of born into it. But there are, and I'm going to actually talk about it here in a minute. So how about I pause on that question, put a pin in it for a second, and let's see if we kind of talk about it here. So it is believed that this was known in the ancient world about these positive and negative energies Um, Scientists have been debating among this, so don't take it as necessarily fact because it is highly debatable. Um, The telluric current, the magnetic energy of the earth, and ley is a line between physical sites that hold this power. So they call them ley lines. Um, Ley lines is what is heavily debated. So they believe that there's this straight line that you could make from one physical ancient ruin or site that's been there for a very, very long time to the next site, which might be a thousand miles away, but you could make maybe like one straight line across where they believe all this energy is sort of being sourced. Um, So they believe that energy there's basically, they're harnessing that energy is what they're doing. So there's an interesting amount of sites built along those lines, ancient temples and churches, the pyramids, which also have been a point of contention. Was it built by ancient aliens? There's a whole show about it. That's, that's a fun one. Yeah. I I mean, I do like listening to those things. I don't go into it like wholeheartedly believing it, but I go into everything with an open mind. I know, but even how they were built, like how? It is mysterious. Can anyone explain it? No. That's what's wild. It's not human labor. Yeah. Just human labor. That's something else. Yeah. So the pyramids themselves, the Great Pyramids of Giza and Egypt, are fascinating, and we will have to do an episode one day on that because, one, I'm not even sure we can do that in an episode, and I'm pretty positive we can never do it justice because there are whole ass shows on just the pyramids. Yeah, and if we do, we need to put focus on the hauntings of it because we had one reviewer that said we don't talk enough about hauntings. So, Well, actually, let me address that. Um, There are episodes that are going to be more haunted than others. This is also haunted real estate where we talk about places primarily. And some creepy things happen at some places and less creepy others. Sometimes it's just the history of it. So keep that in mind when you're listening to our show. It's not all scary because I just... It's just not everything. But sometimes I like to keep it light. Like this, today, I wouldn't even say it's not scary. And the next episode is not really scary either. But there's a lot of legends and things that we'll be talking about. I don't even know what you're going to say because I don't know about Alaskan Triangle. But uh, the whole thing seems spooky to me just because it's... Right. Did you just snap? I just... 
pop my knuckle. I'm oh, so sorry. That t- I thought you snapped at me like, girl. Girl, please. <laughs> but it was under the table. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wasn't expecting that to be so loud. Yeah. Anyway, the, the whole thing is spooky to me because it's unexplainable. Yeah. I don't like unexplained things. But don't expect every episode to be, like, scary necessarily. This It's not ghosts in every episode. When I... When we talk about haunted, it's sometimes haunted with memories, the past, the history of a place. Okay, moving on. So they believe that the pyramids were intentionally placed where they are due to the magnetic magnetic energy inside. From Curosmos.com, please God, I hope I said that right. Uh, the chambers of the pyramid act as resonators, connecting electromagnetic energy inside of them. The study has also found that the pyramid as a whole focus radio wave from above into a region just below the ancient monument. So back to Alaska. They hold the same type of energy as well, which could be one of the many explanations as for its strange occurrences. Like we said, you can't plan when this magnetic energy is going to be positive, positive or negative. It happens when it's going to happen. I'm not sure it's like necessarily constant, but it ebbs and flows in its energy. So what makes this more frustrating about being in Alaska is it's a very unforgiving climate and terrain. So it's very difficult to understand what's happening. It's difficult to understand this energy. Um, And so when people, planes, well, I was going to say ships, but mostly planes go missing, it's very hard to find them because you already travel a lot in Alaska by plane. Yeah, and there's so much snow, like you're easily covered up within a few hours if you do crash. Yeah, and so, I mean, there have been pretty large planes that have also gone missing, which is kind of mysterious. Um, Actually, it's very mysterious, but Alaska is also on the Ring of Fire. If you're not familiar with the Ring of Fire, it goes basically all the way to the west part of South America south southwest south america all the way up california oregon washington uh, alaska the aleutian islands and then it goes down into japan and on so it, it takes what? up the pacific ocean basically it's circling the pacific ocean what the fuck mm-hmm. what? um so there's a game of thrones we have an actual ring of fire and that's also in searchable books and unsearchable people. books <laughs> that's in searchable books oh. and people know of this we have a ring of fire yes so you may have learned about it in in ninth grade geography oh man i was definitely busy (laughs) checking out boys (laughs) so this is a place of where there is a lot of tectonic activity on this region is the most amount of volcanoes earthquakes anything related to tectonic activity it's there which puts a lot of energy of the earth in that area too so alaska being in the ring of fire because a lot of the other weird triangles are not in the ring of fire Hmm. there is an extra amount of energy in that area so some believe that so more so than egypt as far as like tectonic activity yeah yeah interesting well egypt's not really known for its earthquakes well i know i'm talking ring of fire has more than the other areas yes if you look at a map looking at the ring of fire most of the active volcanoes are on the ring of fire the moving tectonic plate so that's like the san andres fault in california that's all a part of the ring of fire they have a lot more where where the plates are that's where they're familiar to me okay here we go it's all coming back it's all coming back to me now okay so some believe that these vortexes do create portals because of that energy yes portals that can go into other dimensions 
this is really giving me anxiety. Twilight. I'm thinking Twilight Zone, but it also gives me Outlander vibes because if you've not seen that show or you have, good on you. We love it. It's amazing. There are ancient stones that hold energy and only certain people can actually pass through the stones, which is like a portal that goes back in time. Now, Stonehenge is also one of these places they think harness energy and in Outlander, it looks like Stonehenge. It, er, when she's touching does, those yeah. rocks. I, I thought that when I first watched it, I thought it was Stonehenge or when I first Stonehenge, I actually got really obsessed with in junior high, but that's just like the pyramids. There's no explanation. Like man at that time could not have moved those structures. Yeah. They're like, I don't want to say there's no way because there's always a way. There's so many things unexplained. Mm-hmm. But WTF, mate. Yeah. So there's uh, another property that we covered that does hold some very strange energy. And that is my house. The Conjuring House. Oh. The Conjuring House in Rhode Bringing Island. Bringing me back to the devil's den. <laughs> Outside of the ghostly tales that we talked about during that episode, there is believed to be what they call interdimensional phasing. It's like a smoky haze. Um, they do. And I will talk about this in episode two. The there have haze. been. No. Well, the smoky haze, but also there have been what they call shadow people that they found there. And we'll talk about shadow people in the next episode. I have to wait for episode two for that. You do. Oh my gosh. But at least you get to hear it before everyone else. Shadow people really freak me out. Yeah. I full on think I've seen shadow people before. I don't even want to talk about it. I feel my eyes watering up. Okay. Well, can you please talk about it when we talk about it in the next episode? Yeah, but I feel like I'm going to have to have Julie call in for like... An even better explanation because oh, yeah. we should call her. We should do an interview. We okay, should. let's put a pin in that too and let's talk about that later. Pin put, please. Okay, so Smokey Hayes, there's a picture that um, Mike Ricksecker, because he was at the Conjuring House too, he does a lot of paranormal stuff. There's a picture that he took that shows this sort of hazy smudge window, window in a doorway. Um, the book says, helping to power this phenomenon at the Conjuring House is the construction of the well room in the basement directly below these rooms. The room contains an open well filled with water. It's, it's constructed of limestone walls and topping those limestone walls are slabs of granite whose primary mineral composition is quartz. And out comes Samara. Yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. Um, is that actually a thing? Samara? Samara, yes. I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you know what? I thought you were like, that's a story for another time, and I got you one, girl. I think that takes place in Seattle, Washington, which is all along the Ring of Fire. So maybe. She comes out of a well. Okay, well... Thank God VHS tapes don't exist anymore. Yeah, I know. What'd she do after that? She should go out of business. Yeah, I don't I don't think she was down with tech. Yeah. Further than that. So basically, because of how this well is made with limestone, granite, it's a perfect little power plant to help aid generating strange activity that occurs within the house. That's for Mike Ricksecker. Now, you know I'm a skeptic. I love telling ghost stories and learning about haunted history, but there's always a part of me that is gonna question these stories. So there's that. In that same vein, I I am also open to ideas and fully admit that there is the possibility of ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, what have you. Okay. If I saw it, I'm not saying if I have to see it to believe it, but you know, if I saw it, I would believe it. So keeping an open <laughs> mind here. You just deny it if you saw I know. Bigfoot. I'm like, like no, that's not, not real. It's not. Lainey, that's just you. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah. I'd have to go poke it and touch it to see that he's real. <laughs> nope. 
But I do find the magnetic fields really interesting because I think that is undeniable. Um, How it affects us, I think, is what we're trying to understand. So it is both in the ground and it's around us and the uh, volcanic activity in the Alaska region um, just kind of exacerbates everything further. So I fully believe that it could cause strange things to happen. The portals, I'm not really sure about, but I don't know how that energy works. Maybe it does create portals. I have no idea. I would just love to know, does everyone who, if if portals are real, does everyone who goes into it go to the same place or a different place? And if it's like an outlander, they go to different places or different times. But is it something you think about or is it? Just uh, draw the card. You're just wherever the portal picks. Like, what? Are, how does it work? I don't think anybody can answer that question like, for you. If you go to a portal, you obviously, if these people disappeared and went on a portal, they can't call back home and be like, hey, I'm, I've been portalized. Yeah. Um, when we talk about one of the stories here, there is the possibility they think they went into a portal. God. So there is definitely a lot of people that believe these portals exist in Alaska. So due to all the... Um, Um, magnetic energy that's housed in this confined region, strange things can happen. That's no one's denying that. Um, So with that, let's move on to missing planes, people, and ships. Oh, damn it. Let's start with airplanes. Literally airplanes that vanished were never found. Now, yes, there's the prop planes. That's a little bit more explainable. That They're just smaller, so they can disappear a little bit easier. Um, but there have been larger planes that have also gone missing with no signs of a crash or anything. And this one really freaks me out because this is like the Malaysian flight MH370. This one really messed with my head because whole plane went missing and we still don't know where they are. And that was 2014. With today's technology, it just baffles my mind. We have no idea what happened to them. How many people were on it? Oh God, I can't remember. I think it was like is over a hundred. Oh my god! I'll look it. I'll look it up real quick. Sorry, you went from small plane to a whole ass plane. So are we talking a four seater or a? Let's see. I know you're obviously not talking about like the big ass ones with two hundred and thirty nine people. Holy mother! All of them just disappeared, gone. Mm-hmm. No plane parts. So that's the weird thing. Did you not watch that Netflix documentary that I told you to watch? It was on the Malaysian flight MH370. Oh, I watched a little bit of it. I know I did not finish it. Yeah, like one man's wife and I think two of his kids were on that plane. Between you and coworkers, y'all told me enough and I do remember reading about it. So like, I don't like to watch stuff like that because I already know I'm going to be sad because I don't like that people don't know where their families are. Yeah. Um, well, there's no happy ending to that story, so I wouldn't volunteer myself to watch the whole thing on Netflix. There was the, everything there with that story is so mysterious because there is a guy um, who said, you know, they're off the coast of the, I think it was like the Indian Ocean or something like South India, and he was like, that's where the plane parts would be. Well, they don't really know where they crash. They have ideas of where they think they crash, but it would be in the middle of the ocean, uh, most likely. And um, he went and flew to that area, and within four hours, he was finding supposed pieces and people were like that feels a little too like convenient that you just went there and found plane parts you know like they felt like he staged it or something so honestly I don't know I don't know if that was real or not the whole thing like and I hate to bring this up but the recent submersible that went to go see the Titanic I've seen a lot of things of the U.S. Navy knew it had imploded that Sunday and the media is telling us every single day, we're trying to find them, we're finding them. And I was texting you like twice a day, like, oh my gosh, they have 12 hours of air left. They have, oh my gosh, there's And they were seven dead hour- already. Yeah. 
And so I wonder, like, when these things, we can call them portals, or does somebody actually know what the F happened there? Yeah. And they're covering up a story? That's where I'm skeptical. 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 Skeptical is because I do believe portals could possibly exist. I'm not canceling that out because that is interesting to think of. Yeah. But also, yeah, I, do I don't feel know like if we get the right information all the time. It does, you know, it does seem like there's somebody that knows what happened with the MH370 and they're just not saying it. Is it a government cover-up? I don't know. And honestly, with that one, they blamed everybody. Um, I mean, it was America did it, you know, the British did it, uh, the Russians did it. Um, there were a lot of fingers pointed. Yeah. The ultimate answer is we don't know. So back to Alaska. There are a lot of families that have been left without answers there too. In Alaska, the flights are usually smaller. One story from Missing in Alaska on the History Channel, a father and son were flying and saw strange swirling clouds while they were in flight. All of a sudden, sort of like a tornado, it was sucking them in. Now, these people did survive. So this is kind of one of those, maybe it gives us a little bit of insight of some of the things that go on. So luckily, they were able to get the plane back in their control, but they were in a few terrifying minutes that they were being sucked in without having any control of the plane. So this one's one of the more mysterious ones. Um, January 26th, 1950, a Douglas C-54 Skymaster plane, technically a military plane, but there were some civilians on board, had taken off near Anchorage, Alaska. I said that weird. Anchorage, Alaska. Two hours (laughs) um, into the eight-hour flight was their last check-in, but after that, they went radio silent. No mayday call, no nothing, which is also like the MH370. He said, good night, Malaysia. I think those were, like, those were his last words. Yeah, I know. I'm cheering up. That just freaks me out. It does. Because if the plane was going down, there would be a mayday call. And it's the same thing here. It's just like, you didn't call for help, you know? So you whatever happened, happened very fast. So at the time, both uh, Canadian-American soldiers were in the middle of, um, like, practice military activities with one another. Not at war. Okay, I don't even know that Canada ever goes to war, but so those 7,000 soldiers that were, you know, practicing, they weren't military practice. I love how you say practicing war. (laughs) I say like they were practicing military. I don't know. They're training. So I'm just saying they're military. They are training. Training is a better word. (laughs) They were in the middle of training. They're practicing war, guys. I'm just going to say military practice. So 7,000 soldiers went searching and many, many missions went looking for those flight, that flight. And there were 44 people on board. So it was a bigger plane, not, not a huge commercial liner. There's 44 people missing and how many thousand people searching? Uh, Over 7,000. Jeez. And of course, they knew where they were headed, so they were looking in that region, and there was nothing. 73 years later, not a trace, and people are still looking for that plane, um, because they have no idea where it went down. If I was around in that time, and I was part of that search, I guarantee I would not die until I, like, I would continue living every day, like, I gotta find that. You know, next weekend, we're going out, and we're gonna go search again, kids. Die trying. Yeah, that would bother me so much. Yeah, so whatever happened literally would have happened in just a matter of seconds. Um, 350,000 square miles were searched and over $10 million spent in search of this plane with absolutely nothing. So the portal theory has definitely come into play here because had they been crashing, they would have radioed in. Somebody would have known something. So... Did they fly into a portal? Was it a UFO? Right before and after the Douglas flight took off, there were several reports of UFO sightings during that time. Are, is, are we in the 50s? Yes. Okay. That so we sense. are in the Cold War era. That's um, when all the aliens were coming for us. 
Yeah. Um, so between January 22nd and the plane crash on the 26th, several reports, even from the military though, the military, the military, the military came in, uh, were reporting sightings of UFOs. I mean, what bothers me there is the military, you would think would know if that was a human aircraft or an well, unidentified. Like, and there's also a, some stupid separation between like government and pedestrian. Yeah. And you would think military would, if, if government's hiding. That's what us. would scare me more is that why is the military reporting this? Because it'd be sad. like, yeah, no, we're in flight practice right now. Yeah. Uh, training i'm just kidding but i'm gonna keep calling it practice war practice <laughs> they were at war practice you guys um, that, that would freak me out like uh i'm gonna call the president and see if uh someone's not telling me the truth as <laughs> captain of military practice war <laughs> so people do reference those ufo sightings that started four days before this disappearance now like i said the skeptic in me is like okay what was going on during the time like we just said it's 1950 this was the time of the space race, post-World War II, who can get to the moon first. Between 1950 and the late 1980s, uh, alien sightings were so, so common. From President Truman to President Reagan, they have all the presidents between that time took some kind of interest in extraterrestrials and were doing something alien related. It was very weird and very interesting. I have two questions and you might not know the answer to either, but were we taught anything before the 50s about UFOs or aliens? Was there ever any sightings like pre-then? I mean, we can go um, back to ancient times and people have said ancient aliens, but yeah. Is um, there a- yes, they did talk about aliens before that. It, I can't remember, but I think it's in the pyramids of Giza. Please don't come at me if I'm wrong here. But they've seen like hieroglyphics or like ancient drawings. Maybe it's cave drawings. I don't know. Of like alien type creatures. Guys, that's Spanish. Get it together. What? I'm thinking like cave drawings in a, just another language you don't understand. Oh, yeah. It, but it was something like alien creatures. And I think they look similar to like what we think aliens look like today. Oh, like signs. That one scene where he crosses the driveway and the kid's birthday party. He's <gasps> like, look, it's behind. That just scene freaks me out. I know I have goosebumps thinking about it movie's so good too though uh my second question sorry okay um i hope i'm not talking too much you said that there were a lot of sightings of aliens before these people left on a flight yeah starting four days before. if you knew there were a lot of sightings of aliens would you get on an airplane with two children and your husband okay or would you get on an airplane with me oh no i'm just <laughs> it's either me your family. No, I'm just kidding. Like, I don't, okay. Would you do it though if you knew that was like? Would you risk it I can, for the biscuit? Just so like I can is- only answer in 2023 what I think I would do. Whenever people ask me, well, what would you do? You know, like like students used to ask me that. Like, well, would you have owned slaves? Would you have done that? You're talking to a modern day Ashley. You know, I, so I, told I can, you at the beginning of this episode, I love the what ifs. Yeah, but like, the what ifs are interesting. You? But when people ask me, like, what would I do in 1950? I would probably be. I think, I don't know, but I don't know. I could have been a conspiracy theorist. And had I known that there were sites of aliens in 1950 where that seems like such a plausible thing, yeah, I probably might not get on that plane. Oh. But I wonder what the civilians knew. I don't, that I don't know. Uh. Because they probably, well, I don't know. They didn't, they might not have broadcasted, hey, there's been a lot of alien sightings. Just the people that were getting it reported to them were like, oh yeah, that's what a weird coincidence. Look, there were a bunch of alien sightings before that happened. I don't know what they knew. Gotcha. If it was today, 
that's hard to say. I mean, I think I would, if it was today, that'd be really weird if they were like, hey, you know, there are a bunch of alien sightings in the Gulf, you know, when you were flying to Mexico. I'd be like, huh, was there really though? Interesting. I think it's a lot easier to explain things today. So it, I don't know. It'd be even weirder if somebody told me there were alien sightings today. They're like, okay. Because yeah. I feel like most of the common man could, no, that's not, that's not a UFO. Like they can explain what it is. I'm an alien. I'm an alien. But so during the time, the 1950s and 60s, one of our favorite old shows is Twilight Zone. Every other episode was related to aliens. It was space related in some kind of way. So that just really tells you for the time, that's where my brain kind of goes. Like, okay, let's be realistic. Were there really UFO sightings and aliens? Or was this just the fear of the time was aliens? Remember? It's a cookbook. I know. I was about to say, I love the one where he doesn't realize the aliens are going to eat him. Yeah. And they're <laughs> all just getting on. called the cookbook or something like that? Oh my God. It's going to hit me like a ton of bricks soon. I'm going to have Last to Last meal? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to look it up. So it doesn't surprise me in 1950 that people were calling in UFO sightings. Um, and I could have been one of them. I just don't know. Uh, but one thing that did come out of the search uh, were some garbled up cryptic messages that were indecipherable so they did find some kind of radio call this is where people of the portal theory come into play because they believe they went into another dimension and that's why it came back as like garbled up a garbled up cryptic message um could be another dimension it could be witchcraft it could be demons diamonds yeah um but the signal was weak so maybe they got sucked into a vortex and into another dimension maybe another time so there's a lot of theories here with time travel going into sort of alternate dimensions portals are these portals just leading to like an alternate universe so the time travel theory sometimes overlaps with the other dimension theory it's kind of like the upside down so maybe they're in the same time but just in like an alternate sort of universe is upside down specific to stranger things or is that also like a i think that word is specific to stranger things that's what i thought i'm just do you watch that like, i don't remember yes okay i, I thought you did love it but i feel like we talked about so many shows and that one was december we just finished it with the kids last night yeah that's the one i can't watch with you because you have to watch it before you watch it with the kids which i get because some of it's really freaky yeah i think i would have had i i had nightmares over hush from buffy and the oh vampire slayer. Oh, that's my favorite episode. I've made Casey watch that one episode multiple times because it is freaky. It's a little silly now. I mean, they still look freaky, but I just the well, age, I, what, nine? Something. Twelve? Something about a smile can bring you both joy and fear the at the smi- time. Yes, like the movie smile. That movie Anyone freaky. that's crazy murder is smiling. Casey and I just watched Evil Dead Rise last night, and there was a lot of creepy smiles in that. By the way, goriest movie ever. Oh, you told me about that, and we can talk about it later, but I did not watch the whole thing, but I walked in on a part, and I'm like, why is this little girl about to open the door for her sick ass mommy, who clearly looks like, deranged. Y'all just missed like, the best face ever. Come on. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I, I always in those movies. I'm like, God, kids are stupid. So I'm stupid. Like, I, I it doesn't even kids... look like your mom anymore. Yeah. Like, why would you? Why would? Why? 
Yeah, that's no. what nightmares I think that, are made. You know what? That's why I let my kids watch some horror movies so they can get a feel for it. So, you know, God forbid that happened to me. They'd be like, nah, you're not my mom. Okay, sorry. We've sidetracked so many times. So we will talk a lot about these theories, but it is just interesting to think that maybe they went into an alternate universe and that's why the signal was weak because that plane has never been found and they have spent so much time and money looking for it. And there's still people that are looking for it. So we'll talk about some of those theories too in the next episode. One very interesting picture came out from Alaska 1898 of gold miners. Um, So this is kind of the the time travel theory. So one of the girls is identical to Greta Thunberg. She is a major climate activist. If you don't know who she is, she's very young. But there is a girl that looks exactly like Greta Thunberg. And in this 1898 photo and people have literally thought she is a time traveler that was went back to the Klondike gold rush so well I always think it's so fascinating that they don't think two people could look so similar 100 years apart Mm -hmm. like you know the AI photos and they're like that human doesn't even exist I'm like are you telling me there is not one girl in Australia that looks just like that blonde haired beauty people always tell me they think they know me because I just have a familiar face nobody knows me or compares me to a person the one thing I got was Molly Ringwald and I was in junior high and boy was I offended she's cute the redhead yeah she's she's cute she's cute I don't think I look anything like her no you don't but it's actually a really weird comparison. I don't know who said it to me, but I remember they did, and I went home, and I cried, and I told mom, and I was upset. I do think she's pretty. I do think she's cute. Why'd I do you not cry? Because I don't look like her. Like, I was like, why do people, like, I've just felt crazy. I don't know. I've never been compared to any celebrity, so. <laughs> Anyways, continue. I'll stop interrupting. Okay, We're look at, at that Greta, Greta, that Thornburg picture. Um. So now there was a flight that really put the Alaskan Triangle on the map. So October 16th, 1972, so 22 years later, U.S. House Majority Leader uh, Hale Boggs, um, Alaska's congressman, I, I said House, U.S. House Majority. I don't think I meant to say leader. I feel like he should have been a weatherman. But he is one of um, Alaska's congressmen. Oh, no, I th- I'm so sorry. I think it is he, U.S. House Majority Leader Hale Boggs and Alaska's congressman, Nick Beggett, um, and his aide, Russell Brown, and the pilot, Don Johns. So these are four men. The last message was sent 10 minutes after takeoff, and then they went radio silent. The airplane had completely disappeared. In 1972, this was the largest search in U.S. history up to that point, commenced to look for the lost legislatures. Today, no trace of them has ever been found. It was believed that they flew through what's called the Portage Pass. This area is about a mile wide with mountains on both sides. This is believed um, in the Portage Pass that there is a vortex generator where the magnetic energy can basically just go bananas in this region due to the terrain and how it can affect the aircraft. So I also don't want to go without saying that Alaska is very rich in uh, different kinds of metal. So iron, copper, gold is in abundance in this area, and that could also definitely affect the compasses and other equipment on airplanes. So there could be if that is a more logical explanation to you, that could also be a cause of why some of the equipment um, acts the way that it does. Then why is it a no-fly zone? I think the problem is, is that you don't, like I said, that magnetic energy is not consistent. You don't know when it's going to happen. So That's so freaky. You know, you can go one day and a plane completely disappear, and then you can go years without there being an issue. You know, like these two incidences yeah, were 22 years. all the same trail and the same thing will happen. That- yeah. 
I mean, same thing with the Bermuda Triangle. You know it's an area of weird, mysterious things that happen and things that literally vanish. But does it mean you can't travel through that area? No, because most of the time you're going to be fine. But so many planes have gone missing with no wreckage or any evidence um, that has been found that these planes literally disappear without a trace. So when it comes to planes, the Alaskan Triangle has many victims. In Missing Alaska, they were testing the theory of magnetic energy in vortexes and went to a known area of high magnetic energy. They put a drone up in the air and in a few minutes of putting it in the air, the controller went just absolutely crazy and it was getting all these error messages and everything and the drone was gone. It took them the rest of the day to find where the drone went. Okay, I was harping on our episode one of Huska Castle. Just send a freaking drone down there. They're gonna do it here, but they're not gonna do it there in case the devil escapes. Yes, they they literally thought that was the mouth of hell. Okay, I'm good with not opening that. This is in open air, so there's nothing to close or open. Need an explanation. So they did, like like I said, they did later find that drone, but it was really bizarre when they put the drone in the air that it just completely went out of control. And so who knows? Maybe it was in a vortex. I don't know what happened. So now let's talk about ships. Um, Alaska can have some pretty rough waters. The sea can also be unforgiving in an area, in any area. And we know ships, boats, and other floating vessels can, of course, go missing. Um, in the winter months in Alaska, this can be especially brutal. There can be harsh weather, but also very thick fog. Um, Ships will be blown with ice from the gusty wind and water. One of the famous disappearing ships was the SS Princess Sophia. She was a Princess Sophia banana hammock. So there was a passenger ship that uh, first set sail June of 1912. FYI, same year as the Titanic, only two months later. Oh, no. And this ship was nicknamed the Alaskan Titanic. Oh my gosh. Yeah, do why they would look you like? Uh, do they I have don't, the, the, the. It was much the smaller. Steam towers. I know there's a name and I sound like an idiot, but you know the. Steam the, tower, I towers. Think Titanic had four of them. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I'm not, I did see a picture of it, but now I don't recall what it. If it looked similar or not. Um, She sailed from Skagaway to Vancouver and often transported people on the Lynn Canal for the winter months. Just before the ship came to Skagway to load up these passengers, she was fitted with new buoyancy tanks so she could carry a hundred more passengers than she had previously. Great. Unfortunately, instead of 253 passengers, now she could carry 353 passengers that do end up disappearing. And they didn't even have enough lifeboats for everyone, did they? Lifeboats did not come into play in this one. Okay. So on October 24th, 1918, which is pretty nippy in Alaska, <laughs> just before winter set in in Alaska, the, the ship set sail with the 353 people aboard. They left three hours behind schedule, so already a whoopsie. The captain, though, was very experienced, and he had made this specific voyage many times. Um, He knew this channel very well, and it's unlikely that he would have veered them off course. But something did veer them off course. Knowing that below the ship were sharp rocks, he always kept the ship in the deeper side of the canal, which is six and a half miles wide in total. So now whether it was due to electromagnetic energy messing with the ship's instruments or someone or something else, they went off course. And in addition, a nasty snowstorm pounded the ship. At 2.10 a.m., the ship crashed into the Vanderbilt Reef. Hitting a reef isn't like hitting an iceberg. It tore up the entire bottom of the ship and tossed everyone around the ship. Would you, how big is it, like, are you, is the ship stuck on the reef? Yes, it does get stuck on the reef. So if you were standing, you were thrown across the room. Then again, unlike an iceberg where you may be able to continue to sail, yes, of course, you can still sink. um, You don't, you don't have anywhere to go because the reef is that big. So yeah, you, they got trapped on the Vanderbilt reef. Just shaping the whole bottom layer off versus an iceberg would be like a chunk at the front. 
Yeah. Because the snowstorm was so awful, they could not safely board the lifeboat. So that's why the lifeboats weren't used. They did send distress calls and rescue and a rescue mission from Juno was sent out. But of course, they also couldn't get there quickly because of the snowstorm. And it also was not safe for them to go get passengers off the ship. That's when you just shouldn't be flying or sailing. Yeah. If if rescue people can't do it, then yeah, I think a lot of this better. was unexpected. Um, and maybe had they not been three hours late, this wouldn't have been as big of an issue. Well, they probably would have missed the reef anyway. So much stuff is unpredictable. I mean, our weather hits us faster than we expect. Yeah. So as the storm kept battering the ship, it pushed Princess Sophia further onto the reef. The captain firmly believed everything would be okay. They'd have to weather the storm on this reef, uh, reef, and he would let the rescue ships know that they should not come out during the storm because they would just all end up in the same situation and they'd all end up stuck on the reef too, most likely. So water was slowly coming onto the ship. There was no power, so it was probably freezing cold. Oh my God, this is a horror story. Some estimate that the winds were up to 100 miles per hour. Around 5.20 p.m., they received a desperate plea for help. The rescue mission pushed towards the reef, and the storm had let up a bit, but was still going on, so the rescue ships still couldn't come. Two rescue ships actually almost crashed into each other trying to save the Princess Sophia. So rescue ships couldn't get to the Princess Sophia until the morning of October 26th. When the first rescue mission ship arrived, they could see that the Sophia had not survived the night. Sorry, I did say at the beginning they disappeared and really disappear. Um, They were stranded on the reef for 40 hours. Oh my gosh, with 100 mile an hour per wind. Mm -hmm. And the wind and waves had spun the ship 180 degrees, putting half of the ship back into the sea where it really took on a lot more water since half of it was still stuck. You know, so the bottom is basically like hanging down. Could you imagine approaching that, knowing like you left to go save people and you see that and you're just like, probably could be anyone there. Yeah. So by the time they got to the ship, the entire bottom was torn up. The boilers had exploded in the ship and oil was everywhere, like in the water and everything. Many people had jumped into the water trying to at least swim to safety if they could, but they either died of hypothermia or were weighed down by the oil. Most of the victims' watches had all stopped at 5.50 p.m. What? Jeez. Sorry. Sorry, none of this was like spooky to me until you said that. Uh, It's still scary, yes, but why would everyone's watch stop at the same time? Most likely because the oil probably like drowned them all around the same time but they all couldn't have been at the same place same time there's no way they did not maybe when the oil in their watch at the same time i don't know that's insane so the only rescue now was to pull the dead bodies out of the water so that they could identify them and get them to their families in the first 162 bodies that they pulled out only two of them had actually drowned the remaining 160 suffocated from the oil Local businesses had to turn into makeshift morgues as they brought in all the bodies. Many of those businesses and buildings are believed to be haunted today with the victims of the Princess Sophia. There was one survivor of the ship. Oh my gosh, the captain. Wouldn't that be kind of wrong if the cap- captain's supposed well, to go know, down with the but ship? But he, he even said, like, don't even come out here, don't risk your lives, like, we're here. Like, he's still a good guy, I assume. No, the only survivor was a dog. <gasps> Hell yeah. So how they got off course 
we do not know. Um, that is still a mystery today. Where's Where was the dog found? I think it was still on the ship. Uh, Lynn Canal, where the Princess Sophia sank, has seen many ships come and go, and Princess Sophia isn't the only victim. There are more ships that met their end in this canal and a lot of mystery that shrouds it. So another interesting interesting ship is the USS Bachimo ghost ship. There was a cargo steamer built in 1914. In 1931, it was holding expensive fur and other cargo when it got lodged into ice on October 1st. Obviously, ice is a problem in the North. So we don't have a bunch of people on board or just... No. I mean, there are people on board, but they, I mean, I'll tell you in just a minute, but they evacuated to let it, the ice thaw before they could get well, to I, it. Well, I meant it's not like a cruise ship no. where there's a bunch of people. They're just like moving product from no, one place to another. And much, much fewer people with a bunch of fur on board. So, but being here in the coast, we're not used to there being like icebergs in the water because, you know, we live on the Gulf Coast. So it's a little warmer. I'm um, literally sweating right now we, as we sit here. I'm chilly. <laughs> you look cold. <laughs> I know. I'm like got goosebumps right now. Yeah. We just deal with massive hurricanes, but not really ice. So when it got stuck in the ice, it was near what's now Utkavik. So the crew got off and stayed there for two days until they could return to the ship. But when they did, the ship was gone. So it was that just, sucks. it was just out drifting the open waters. Dude, where's my ship? Yeah. Like what the <laughs> hell? I parked it right here. So about two weeks later, the ship got lodged into ice again. So they couldn't get to it. And a month later, a terrible blizzard came and that did, and that did happen to pull the ship out of the ice. But once again, it was floating on its own without a crew. Finally, the crew found the ship and removed all the fur and cargo from it. They assessed the ship and was like, you know what? This is probably going to sink soon. So let's just abandon it and leave it to nature to take it. Except it what did. What a weird thing to do. It didn't sink. It kept sailing as a ghost ship. So people did try to salvage the ship, but that was unsuccessful. Something always managed to mess up the plane. Uh, the plane, the plan when they tried to salvage the ship. One group of Alaskans boarded the ship and got trapped in it for 10 days due to another crazy storm. That freaking sucks. Yeah. So the, so by the time they could get off, they were like, deuce, I don't want to be on this ship they anymore. They probably didn't even have food. The ship went on to sail another 40 years that we know of. It The last it was seen was 1969. The government actually sent out a search in 2006 to find the Bachimo, but it has never been located. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait. We'll probably be like 54 and 57 or 73 and 76 and be like, look, I found the Bachimo. Finally found the Bachimo. Yes. Um, so the last ship story I'm going to share is in the same region near Utkavik. Um, this is the Octavius legend. So we don't know all the facts about the ship, but many articles have been written about it. Supposedly, the Octavius was going to do a year tour in 1761. Some say it was for cargo trade, but we aren't quite sure. The crew, because because it's 1761, so, you know. Um, so the crew included the captain's family, his wife and young son, and told a total 28 people. They made it to the port in China. When they were planning to sail back, they were like, hey, let's go through the northwest northwest passage because it is unseasonably warm. They thought that would save a lot of time. So the ship never made it. They don't know where they went. What? Um, six years went on before they finally saw the ship. In 1775, when another ship passed the Octavius, the captain and his men aboard the ship and what they found traumatized them. Oh my God, no. Every person on board was frozen. They were all in their quarters. The captain had his pen in hand and appeared he had died while writing in the captain's log where he apparently froze to death suddenly. Could the men, you imagine? No, that would... 
haunt me for the rest of my freaking life and I would hightail it out of there. And then I would go to like a hypnosis to help erase that from my mind. Hi, I feel like I'd be one of those people like the first frozen person I saw, I'd be like, and keep walking. And then, then that's when I would see black and just dive off the, what do you call the diving board for pirates the plank yeah the men that uh had gone on to the octavius to see what happened took part of the logbook but legitimately thought that the ship was cursed so they got the hell out of there uh, many people have thought this story to be an urban legend but there is enough evidence that a lot of people believe it to be true because there's a lot of articles written about it there have been and are people still looking for the octavius today when they say there's enough evidence to prove that it is true what no, is i don't want to say prove evidence that the like, manifest the- they had uh, maybe it's that little bit of a manifest that they had and articles that were written about it from people that saw it. Like maybe they wrote in their own log books, like yeah. I witnessed the Octavius today. So I don't want to say there's enough evidence to prove it, but there's enough evidence where there's a lot of people that believe that this did happen. And there are people that are actively looking for it. So I don't think they look for it if they thought this was just a legend. So now let's talk about one of the many legends in the Triangle and Lake Iliamna. Uh, this lake is the second largest lake in the United States behind Lake Michigan. It's approximately a thousand square miles and goes as deep as a thousand feet. It's approximately the size of Rhode Island. This lake is not a common hotspot because you either live there or you have to fly to get to this region and it's not like a drive up the weekend to go like hang out there. Um, you have to, I mean, you have to fly to get there. So it's less convenient than just like a weekend trip. What's the lake called again? Iliamna. So the shape of the lake is actually fish shaped. So this Ew. might've been where the legend started. Ew. Sorry. Sorry. The lake is shaped like a fish. Fish, why is that gross? It's not gross. I have a, I'm very allergic to fish. So when people say fish, I immediately Ella. think of I'm covered in hives and my throat swollen. Okay, well, just so, don't no, eat any fish. Fish are beautiful. I'm sorry. Okay, beautiful lake. And um, so they think because of the fish shape that may be where this legend started. Uh, they have their very own Loch Ness type legend that many of the locals believe in. That looks like a sperm, not a fish. <laughs> I think it looks more like a sperm. No, well, sperm kind of looks like like squid with the uh, T Rex arms. See, I don't. I don't see, I do see like a squid. Sorry, continue. So in Lake Iliamna, instead of Loch Ness, she is known as Illy. Um, so the legend is that a giant fish got stuck between two mountains and flopped around and created this fish-shaped crater. That's so sad. The Anchorage Daily News has even offered $100,000 for finding their lake, uh, for finding Illy. Um, Illy, sorry. With depths of a thousand feet, there very well could be species never seen. So I think it's fair to keep an open mind on this one. Uh, The descriptions basically conclude that there is a creature up to 30 feet that is fish-like, unlike many other lake monsters, which are actually serpent or dinosaur-like, like like Nessie. She's a plesiosaur. Whatever it is, it has had people scared to travel the lake in small watercrafts because kayakers have gone missing. Teeth marks on paddles have been found. And lots of lots of other strange sightings. So there are legends dating back to the 1700s, back when the Russian fur traders were in the area. But most of the stories really started from 1942, when a plane went over the area and saw a large aluminum-colored fish that was seen from high above in the plane. One of the stories comes from the Alaska's Mysterious Triangle with Mike Ricksecker, Chuck. I don't know how to say this last name. 
Chuck Crapuchettes. Uh, he's just Chuck. Founded an academy on Lake Iliamna in 1972. He's also been a guide, a commercial pilot, and a commercial fisherman. He was known to be an honest person, so many believe his accounts with Illy in 1967. Chuck was flying a float plane above the lake when they first saw the creature. It was massive, so they asked people on land to confirm what they were seeing. Of course, people on land have a completely different view of what the people on the plane could see, so they couldn't confirm the same kind of sighting that he was. Chuck's friend was also on the plane with him and attached a stainless steel cable, okay, a steel cable, with large tuna hooks baited with caribou, and they put it in the lake. They drifted above, and suddenly the whole plane wrenched hard. It wrenched so hard that it knocked them off the float where they had been observing. Whatever the creature was, it took off with the bait and the plane, and they were just left stranded in the water. So from the story, it sounded like Chuck was stranded in the water, or both. I'm not I'm not sure if it was him and his friend, but nobody was on the plane either way. So I'm pretty sure it was Chuck and his friend. Um, but they swam ashore and had to search for the missing plane. It was found abandoned miles away with the cables ripped off, and even stranger, the hooks were completely straightened out. Ooh. So something very strong was in the water that day. That's crazy. There have been... I- I have to ask, would you believe me if I told you I saw some giant monster that, whether Loch Ness or Bigfoot, if I, like, told you I did, I'm freaking out. Would you believe me? Or would you I, just be like, honey, you saw a bear? I, okay, well, I would... Were you stoned? Or, I would not <laughs> think you're lying to me, first off. Like, I wouldn't be like, she's a liar. I would think you believe that that's what you saw. Is that what you saw? Like, you know, it's like Bigfoot. What if I just see a bear standing and ran off and I'm like, I saw Bigfoot, but it was just a bear standing up, like rubbing its back on a tree. Yeah. I believe I saw Bigfoot. Am I lying? No, I'm not lying. I just mistook what I saw. So that's what I would believe. I I would, I'm not saying you would be wrong. I'm just, she believes it happened. So there was something. You don't typically just make up stuff like that. I'm still pissed at you. Okay. I believe she thinks what she saw. I believe she's not (laughs) lying. I mean, I think that's fair. But like, is it really what you saw? That I don't know because I, I wasn't there. she saw what she made up in her head. Okay. Oh my <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So in Lake Iliamna, some descriptions illustrate Illy as a shark-like creature with a shark-like head with pectoral fins and possibly a dorsal fin, but the rest of the body is not so sharky looking. With the large fish that um, we are certain lives in Lake Iliamna, there is really a great food source there, so there very well could be a predatory monster that lives there in the lake. Um, there's king salmon in the lake, which can get up to 100 pounds. There's also freshwater seals that are pretty reclusive that live there, um, but would make a nice meal for predatory animals. There's also been tons of reports from pilots and captains that have seen huge shadows of fish-like creatures swimming below the surface. If you're local, you might just say this is Illy. Uh, There have been sightings of large whale-like creatures lurking. I can't stop thinking, and you probably don't know of the song, but it starts with a milli, a milli, a milli, a milli, a millionaire young money. No, I don't know that song. (laughs) All I'm thinking in my head is a lily, a lily. Okay. Yeah, I don't know it. Okay. Um, so this comes from the Anchorage Daily News near Kakanak um, in 2017. Some kids spotted a creature blowing water from either a blowhole or its mouth. Of course, it's kids, so take it with a grain of salt. They have bigger imaginations. But within a couple of days, six grown-ups saw it too. Two of them had binoculars, so they were looking more close up, but couldn't definitively make out exactly what it was, but could confirm it was whale like no it was whale like so it was a large fish but they weren't saying it's a whale plus it's still fresh water i mean it's connected to rivers that are connected to the ocean i'm pretty positive but 
Well, a whale so wouldn't go that th- far. This creature is about 30 feet, you mm-hmm. said. And whales go up to like 60 feet. Yeah. And that's sharks are say, like seven feet. Yeah. I mean, there's bigger sharks than that. But yeah, yes. There are um, some sharks that could be in this water. But we're not talking like great white type sharks. I'm not sure. Do so, we talking about sharks that eat people? No, there's like sleeper sharks. Oh. They said it did surface for a few seconds and then it went back down again. One thing interesting to note is that the sightings often coincide with the seal migration patterns of the lake. They spend the seals, they spend their summers in the north part of the lake and then the winters in the southern part of the lake. So they basically spend the whole year circling the lake and they are land adjacent. So most of the attacks or sightings that have happened are very close to the shore. Um, the majority of the Illy sightings don't take place like in the middle of the lake. So that's why it's like the kayakers and stuff need to be careful because there is believed to be something out there. I want to be a part of the seal migration, like swim with the seals while they go find their new home. Sounds so adorable. Okay. You look so annoyed at me right now. Uh, you've never told me you wanted to go live with the seals. Oh, I don't. I'm just, you talked about how they basically circle the lake. They go from the Sounds north like to nice south. One. Yeah. I would love to just like be a part of that one time. I'm not saying I want to be a seal or live with the seals. Okay. One so time. you want to be a seal. Uh. <laughs> So whatever it is, it likes a large meal, which is why they believe it follows the seal patterns. It's not the seals they're confusing it with, just to make that clear. It's whatever it is follows the seals, typically, and they're probably eating the seals. Another story from Anchorage Daily News. One guide camper near Mulshotna River. You're doing great with the names today. I know. I'm sorry. Laid out five-gallon Blazo cans for floats to try to bait the creature. He used large hooks and left it to see what would happen. He left it. um, He flew over his bait a few days later, and the bait was gone, and the Blazo cans were gone too. He flew over searching. He flew over searching for them and found them crushed flat from pressure. Oh my gosh! No one knows how that happened. So what are the realistic options if it's not some mystical creature? Okay, so if you're a realist and you need an explanation. Thank you. The the answer usually people give is the white sturgeon fish. This fish can get up to 20 feet long, but not usually that long, but some have been sighted that big. Um, They are ancient fish that date back to over 160 million years ago. That breaks me out. I don't know why. That they've survived like... Yeah, they're like Jurassic fish. Yeah. No, I think I find that fascinating. Uh, they can be freshwater and wouldn't be considered dangerous to humans. Um, mostly just dangerous to crustaceans. Another theory is... The, the only f- thing I can eat, thanks, is stupid fish. <laughs> I can eat shellfish. Sounds like the only thing you can eat are shellfish. The only thing I can eat are crustaceans. <laughs> just the crustaceans. She, she can eat, you know, steak too. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. When I said earlier I have a fish allergy, I can't eat fish, but I can eat shellfish. I have the opposite allergy. Yeah, most people have a shellfish allergy. Not Laney. It's quite weird. Um, Another theory is the sleeper shark. They are deep sea sharks that eat and have extremely slow metabolism since they only come up for food and go back down. Um, These animals can also get up to 20 feet long. Jeremy Wade of River Monsters also did an episode in Lake Iliamna and agrees with the sturgeon theory, even though he didn't actually find anything. Locals, though, don't quite agree. Sturgeons- did they make a whole episode of River Monsters and he didn't find anything? Mm-mm. Do people watch that show and sometimes he's like, well, I got nothing. Yeah, sometimes he doesn't find, especially like the bigger, uh, the mystical cre- creature. People see the creature once every He at least ends the episodes with giving what he thinks it is, you know, based on all of his fishing. I mean, he's a worldwide fisherman. I mean, he goes everywhere. I've seen (laughs) episodes, but I don't know it. Like, not a diehard fan. Yeah. 
I like that show. Locals don't agree with Sturgeon just because the sizes that people have witnessed and there's too many eyewitness accounts that don't add up to Sturgeon or Sleeper Sharks. So is it a monster or just a local legend? Maybe one day we'll find out. But that day is most likely not today. So this is it for part one. There are a lot of stories and theories in the Alaskan Triangle, and we're definitely not done. Plus, I have a lot of triangle territory that I really want to share with you guys. So stay tuned as we continue on the Alaskan Triangle, but we will be visiting all the triangles. I don't think I've ever been as hooked on phonics with one of your episodes as I am right now. You can just say hooked on it. What are you hooked on phonicsing for? Hooked on phonics, man. Let me be. (laughs) No, so, and this is so fascinating. Yeah. Oh, I feel very educated. At least most of the stuff we talk about, I have some knowledge you, of. You learn a lot as we go. I learned a lot. And also as my brain thinking and also terrified of portals and the unknown and then good vibrations. <laughs> do, so do, do. this one is super fun and mysterious and I don't think talked about enough, but you can find more information if you're interested interested in it. Um, the travel channel, uh, the travel channel did um, several seasons of Alaskan Triangle. Uh, the History Channel has Missing in Alaska, which they talk about the Alaskan Triangle in almost every episode. Really? Mm-hmm. This is on television, and I don't know. Mike Ricksecker um, is the author of the book Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, and he also has a book on shadow people. So. Um, He's got a lot to say, and I've listened to his radio interviews. I read his book. I've watched episodes of both Missing in Alaska and the Alaskan Triangle. It's all fascinating. So Um, you mentioned we're going to talk about shadow people next mm -hmm. week. Uh, Do you have any hints you can give us of what we're covering? We will be covering a little bit more on some local legends. We're going to hit two of the kind of bigger local legends that are there. And we will be talking about shadow people and go into a little bit more detail on maybe the alternate universe theory, the time travel theory. Yeah, so we'll just be hitting some of those things a little bit more. So stay tuned. The first two points you said, though, you as my sister, will I be scared? Local legends usually kind of scare me. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I just, I think they're fun and interesting. Do I, I mean, they're scary if it really happens. Depends that day. I, if you think you might pee your pants, then go ahead and wear them because you're sitting on my bar stool. So I was talking about a number two. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> don't want kidding. you pooping on my chair either. So <laughs> stay tuned for part two. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed and thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And guys, it's a little late since you're just going to hear this a few days later, but Happy 4th of July and Independence Day to the United States of America. Hope everyone is having a great time. Ashley and I, we're about to hit the pool, the margaritas, and the fireworks. Um, And if you are interested in donating to the show, you can donate at Venmo. It is at Haunted RE. That's like Haunted Real Estate, but it's at Haunted RE. And go to like our page at haunted.real.estate. And if you have any suggestions for the show, don't be afraid to DM us or email us at hauntedrepod at gmail.com. And if you were in the Houston area looking for an agent, uh, a real estate agent that is, uh, I am a residential realtor and I would love to assist you in your next um, purchase or sale or <laughs> purchase investment. Um, my husband and I, Casey, uh, we are both agents, so we would love to assist. And I just wanted to toss out, um, we have been getting some great reviews and feedback throughout 
Apple and Amazon. And we would love if you guys would rate and review us. We love the support. We have gotten feedback that's not the greatest, but it actually does help us because it's one feedback. Okay, I'm not talking about that specific one that bothered me. But okay. We anyway, some real, okay. First off, we've had really good feedback, and then we've had constructive criticism feedback. Okay, but anyways, rate and review us. We would love five stars for sure. Uh, that really helps us um, get noticed. We would love to do this forever and ever. That will help us get sponsors. We appreciate you listening. As always, if you need anything from us, please do let us know at the Gmail Ashley provided. Haunted R E Pod at gmail.com gmail.com bye